This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Boy, what a rowdy group. How fun is that? It's Sunday morning. And uh, what a great time of worship. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about life just the other day. And there are some very important rhythms in life. And uh, one of those rhythms that most of us tune into is the rhythm of eating. Correct? Yeah, most of us find a way to tune into that rhythm about three times a day. Some of us a little more frequently than that even, right? Yeah. And, And the reason we do that is because God put something on the inside of us that sort of tunes us into that rhythm And it's called an appetite. It's called a hunger. And we get that. And uh, some of us maybe get it more than we should. I know how that feels too. But um, I just wanted to give you a different perspective on church. Because the same God who put on the inside of you that thing called hunger that drives you to eat three times a day or more also put within you and within me a soul or a spirit. And it has a hunger attached to it. And when we pay attention to that hunger, it drives us and brings us to church where we can enjoy a spiritual meal. That's really what church is. It's a spiritual meal. So I want to invite you this morning to feed your soul and feed your spirit. What we've just had, you know, when you go to a fine restaurant... They don't usually just bring you a casserole and say that's it, correct? When you go to a fine dining restaurant, usually they may have an appetizer or two. They're going to have a nice salad. Then they're going to bring you the entree. Well, what we've been enjoying in worship is a wonderful appetizer and a wonderful salad. And the great thing about salad is, is is it good for you? You don't sound real convinced of that. Is a salad really good for you? Yeah, you guys are afraid to say that because your wife is sitting beside you. She will hear that. She might hold you to that, correct? It is good for you. It tastes good normally. It's good for you, and it provides great nourishment. And what we've just had in worship, I like to think it's the salad of our meal. It's good. It's good for us. It nourishes us, and what we're getting ready for is the entree. It's the teaching from God's Word. So I want to invite you along in that process. Now, my name is Ron, and I'm on the pastoral staff, and for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be speaking to you uh, out of God's Word, and we're going to have that entree together. So to invite you along on that journey, I want you to pull from your programs this sheet that's fill-in-the-blank notes. And for those of you who are here for the very first time, I want to give you a couple of assurances. We won't put you on the spot We're not going to have you stand up and introduce yourself. And and actually, I'm probably not going to say anything over the next 30 minutes that you won't be able to understand, even if you've never been to church before. That doesn't mean that it's going to be dumbed down or any of those things. It simply means that I'm going to talk about the eternal truths of God in language that all of us can understand. I'm not going to be using any special lingo or anything. 
If you look up on the video screens, you will be able to see. As we read from the Bible, you'll be able to read from the video screens. So you don't have to worry about finding a place in the Bible that you might not be able to find on your own. Uh, You're our guest this morning. But this is the family of God, and we've come together for a meal. And the other thing that God said to me as I was praying about this service is, you know, at a family gathering, everyone belongs there equally. So whether you come to New Life every Sunday or whether this is your first time, you belong equally at this meal. And uh, it's our prayer that we all get to share equally in the meal. So if you want to take that out and fill in the blanks as we go along, it will certainly help you uh, to learn and understand and feed your soul or your spirit. Now, we're starting a brand new series, and it's about King David. As you can see, David's up here in... uh, We've got uh, sort of an artist thing over here because David was um, a wonderful artist for the nation of Israel. He was a poet. He was a songwriter. He was the most famous songwriter that Israel ever had. And as Justin said to you earlier, the longest book in the Bible in terms of number of chapters is the book of Psalms. There are 150 of them, and David was the principal writer of that book. And I'm going to be referring to that a couple of times this morning. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at David's life. Today, we're going to look at the earliest part of his life, David the shepherd. We're going to look at his birth. We're going to look at his childhood. We're going to look at some of the early things that David did in life. And in the process, we're not only going to learn more about David, but we're going to learn something very, very important about our own life that we can learn from David, even as he was a teenager. And so for those of you who are teenagers or would like to be teenagers, okay, um, Very important lessons from David's life. So I invite you along on that journey. And the backdrop of all of David's life is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And I'm going to read that to you, and then I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me. I'll read it to you first. The Bible says, I have found David to be a man after my own heart. He will do all of my will. I want you to read that out loud with me, would you? Let's read together. Ready? I have found David to be a man after my own heart. He will do all my will. Now, God said that. And I have to tell you, as I have perused the pages of the Bible, I have never found a higher compliment paid to anyone, anywhere, at any time by God. I want you to think with me for just a minute. How would I feel if I could hear the voice of God saying, I have found Pastor Ron to be a man after my own heart. He will do all of my will. You know, if God would say that about me, I wouldn't care what anybody else said about me. What do you think? Wouldn't make any difference. Because if God says, I found Pastor Ron to be a man after my own heart. Now I want you to think for a minute. And I want this to be the prayer of our life. And underneath that passage of Scripture, there's a statement. And if it's not true of you, and it's not really your desire, I don't want you to say it out loud just because everybody else is around you. 
But if it reflects the desire of your heart, I, I want you to say it out loud with me. Okay? Let's read it together if you mean it. Ready? I want to be a person after God's own heart. Let's say it one more time. You don't even have to look at the screen. I know you can say it. I want to be a person after God's own heart. If that's the cry of your soul, then you're going to learn something today that will really help you along in that journey, and it will move you forward in becoming a person after God's own heart. Because that's what this is all about. Now, David the shepherd, the theme of David's early life when he was a shepherd is David found a way as a shepherd to seek after God's presence. Which is why, if you look at your notes, at the top of your notes, the title of this message says, David shepherd, and what does it say underneath there? Seeking God's presence. It's impossible to be a person after God's own heart without seeking His presence. Does that need an explanation? I hope not. No. The two come hand in glove. They fit together. And so we're going to see what being a man after God's own heart, what does that look like? What sort of shape did that take in David's life? And what can we learn out of that? But in order to do that, I, I want to bring all of us up to speed about David because some of us don't have a church background. And we, while we've heard of David, we don't necessarily know the story of his life. So let me start sort of at the beginning of David's life. And you can see there are some uh, fill-in-the-blanks in your notes there under David's story. And the first sort of three-word phrase is Israel in trouble. David was born an Israelite, so he was born in the nation of Israel during a time when it was in big trouble. Their big-time enemy was the nation of Philistia, or the Philistines, and the Philistines kept coming up and raiding the nation of Israel and either stealing their crops or destroying their crops. So the nation of Israel lived in poverty. And for a while, the Philistine nation was so strong, they would not allow the nation of Israel to have any swords or not even any blacksmiths in the country so that no one could even make a sword. And if you wanted to get a sword, you had to go to the Philistines to get it. Not a good situation. Not only that, the nation of Israel at the time had a king, and his name was Saul, and Saul had chosen to walk in, in, in huge disobedience to God at every point of his life that was really important, and at every crossroads in the nation's history, and therefore the nation of Israel was in trouble because an evil spirit came and troubled Saul periodically. So you have a nation that is militarily subdued, ruled by a king who's tormented by a demon. That's a problem, don't you think? Yeah, that's a big time problem. Israel was in trouble. Second thing you need to know about David is that he was the last of eight. There were eight boys in David's family and David was number eight. And that meant a number of things. It meant that he was the eighth in line for just about everything in that family. Not only was David the last of eight, the Bible seems to indicate that David was an afterthought. And in fact, we'll see as we go through here that in some ways he wasn't considered a, a, a real part of the family. 
Now, the interesting thing is that David, David's name does not occur in the Bible prior to when David is born. There doesn't seem to be any family history of, of anyone having David's name. David wasn't named after anybody in the family or even anybody in the nation of Israel that we know of, but his name does mean beloved. So he started out with this wonderful name, Beloved. And yet the next thing that happens is, is he's a shepherd boy. And as he grows up and gets into his early teen years, his dad is a sheep farmer. And he's got a lot of sheep. And so uh, he sends David out into the fields to shepherd the sheep. Maybe not all the sheep that his father Jesse had, but he's out there as a shepherd for the sheep. Now, the interesting thing about being a shepherd is you have a lot of time on your hands. A lot of time. Because you know what sheep do? They graze, and then they sit. And they digest. They chew a cut. So what are you going to do as a shepherd? We're going to talk about that a little bit. David had a lot of time on his hands. He was a shepherd boy. But his life took a dramatic turn one day because Samuel, the national prophet of Israel, came to their house. Now, prior to this time, no one even knew who Jesse was. He was just an obscure guy. A couple of generations removed from a Moabite woman who happened to be his, uh, Jesse's great-grandmother. She wasn't even an Israelite. Her name was Ruth, and some of you who know the Bible well uh, have heard of her. Okay? Nobody had ever heard of Jesse. It was nothing. But one day, God came to Samuel, who was, the, who was actually even more revered than King Saul. He was the most famous person in the whole nation of Israel. And God came to Samuel and said, Samuel, I have a job for you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem, which no one had ever heard of Bethlehem prior to that. It was just a little obscure town that no one paid any attention to. But because David was born there, and who else was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. Now we all have heard of Bethlehem. But prior to that, he was a nothing town. And God said to Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem to the household of Jesse, and I want you to anoint the next king from one of his sons. So Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, knocks on the door, Jesse or whoever comes to the door. Oh my goodness. You know, in our country, that would be similar to going home today. You're eating your lunch, there's a knock on the door, and you go to the door, and it's President Obama. Would that sort of change the schedule for the day? Yeah, a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. Boy, it changed the schedule for the day. Whoa, come on in. Why are you here? Samuel says, I want you to sit down. I've got a message to give to you. And so they sit down, and he said, Jesse... God sent me here because he wants me to anoint one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. Wow. Jesse goes, boys, go get dressed. Put on some good clothes. So they all run and they put on some good clothes. And Jesse brings out his oldest son, Eliab. And Eliab was tall and dark and handsome. And Samuel bows his head and says, Surely this is the one. He's the oldest son. He's the heir to his father's possessions. He's the most honored in his family. He's a great kid. Surely this is the one. And it's in that setting that the Bible says that God said to Samuel, Samuel, 
I don't look at people the way you do. People look at others on the outside, but I look at the heart. And even though Eliab is tall and dark and handsome, he doesn't have the heart I'm looking for. Now, what was God looking for? A man after his own heart. So Eliab goes and he brings in the next and the next. And the Bible says that Jesse caused all seven of his sons, and it says it just like that, not seven of his sons, all seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and God didn't accept any of them. And now Samuel's confused. And Samuel looks at Jesse and goes, Hey, Jesse, I'm a little confused. Are you sure you don't have any more? Well, yeah, I do have one. What happened to beloved? I don't know. Something happened. I do have one more. He's just a kid. He's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, bring him in. And they brought him in. And here's what I want you to know. It was in that context that God said, of David, who at that point in his life was probably 13 to 15 years of age. Are you ready for this? I have found David to be a man after my own heart. How would you like that said of you when you were 13 to 15? Is that a little bit different than what God might have said about most of us? Yeah. Wow, a man after my own heart. So Samuel anoints him king. And then Samuel says, oh, by the way, let's not tell anybody. And they didn't. David went back to the field. His brothers went back to doing what they were doing. Samuel went back to being the prophet of God. And the next thing you know, you know how long it was from the time that David was anointed until he actually became king? Thirteen years at a minimum. You know, long time. That's a long time to sit on a promise of God, don't you think? I'm not going to tell you the whole story because I'm going to tell you some of that story next week. But the next thing that happened is 13 years later before he becomes king. But in the intervening time, there's war. And the Philistines have come up to invade the nation of Israel. And King Saul has sounded the warning and gathered together the military. And and they're going to go down and meet the Philistines. And uh, so, sure enough, David's older brothers are all in the military. And so they all head off. And David goes back out to the field to tend the sheep, wishing very much that he could go and be part of of the army, but he's not old enough yet. And uh, a month passes. And Jesse's heard nothing about the war, nothing from his boys. He doesn't know how they are. He just has heard nothing. So he calls in David one day and says, David, I want you to go check on your brothers and see how they're doing. And the battle was only just a few miles away from, from the city of Bethlehem. 
And so um, Jesse and David saddled up a donkey or two and put some gifts on there because you, don't, you, didn't, you never went to see your brothers or you never went to see the king without having uh, some gifts. And David heads off and he gets to the camp where a battle is taking place and he's surprised to find there's no war. Here's all the Philistine army camped up here on one hill. Here's all the Israelite army camped up on another hill. And there's only one guy in the valley, and he's humongous. Huge. Um, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. The Bible says he was nine and a half feet tall. And that's when God says nine and a half feet, you can rest assured it's nine and a half feet. Okay? Big guy. His spear, people's spears were usually about half again as tall as they were. So his spear would go from the floor up to the top of of this opening right here. And the Bible says that the shaft of his spear was like a six by six. And he could pick it up just like that. You know the problem with fighting a guy that tall? Let's say you have a sword, right? And, you know, Israelites are not known for being really tall. So let's say that, but let's say that David was a tall Israelite, maybe six feet tall. And so he's got a sword, which is the main weapon that he would do war with. And the sword, obviously, is not going to go from his waist to the ground. The sword's going to be about two or two and a half feet tall, right? So here's David at six feet tall, and he's got his sword, and when he reaches up his sword as high as he can reach it, it's still not as tall as Goliath is. It's pretty hard to do damage that way. Have you noticed? Yeah, there's just no way. How are you going to attack a guy that's that big? And Goliath had an armor bearer who was out in front of him. So it's not enough that you're trying to get to Goliath. You have to go through the armor bearer to get to Goliath. And Goliath is this towering guy who takes his his, his javelin or his spear, and he's just whacking people down, right? There's no chance. We'll talk about that story later. Most of you know the story of David and Goliath, even if you've never been to church. Who wins, David or Goliath? David, yeah, we all know that story. Well, not long after that, David gets drafted into King Saul's service. And we're going to read you that story later on, but Saul invites David to come to the palace, and David serves as, as a heart player for the king and also uh, a military commander. And the last thing I want to tell you about the story of David before we get into the lessons is that God blessed him. He was blessed by God in everything he did. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. Saul became jealous, and that becomes the central part of what we're going to talk about next week in terms of David the fugitive. We're going to learn a lot about faith next week in David the Fugitive. So now out of that story of David the Shepherd, I want to lift two passages of Scripture, and we're going to learn two very important principles this morning. So let's go take a look at the first passage of Scripture. This is Bible teaching number one. Some of Saul's servants said to him, Let's find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. And not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. So we know that this took place 
after David had killed Goliath. And then he is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Now that's a series of great compliments, isn't it? Yeah. He's a talented heart player. He's a brave warrior. He has good judgment. He's fine-looking, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, the shepherd. Now here's the lesson that we can learn out of this. And I'm going to give you the lesson. I'm going to go back and tell you the part of the story so you know how it got to be this way. Here's the lesson. Because David set his heart on what? On what? On worship. He experienced God in the everyday duties of life. I hesitate to think what the average 13 to 15-year-old boy did during those hours when he had nothing to do as a shepherd. But I can well imagine it might not have been all that good, right? It might have been, you know, carving in the trees, David, Hart, Abigail, right? It might have been, I know what I did when I was 13, okay? I'm sorry to tell you this, but yeah, I grew up in a rural community, and we went to a farmer's house, different farmer's house every Sunday, and I distinctly remember one Sunday afternoon, it wasn't sheep, it was cows, and the guy was a dairy farmer, and the cows were all up milling around the barn, we got the BB gun out, and we started shooting cows in the udder. I know, that's terrible, isn't it? They jumped. farmer gets him in the barn about 45 minutes later, and they're kicking the farmer. He goes, I don't know what got into these cows. They just won't let their milk down. You know, and me and my buddies, we're going, yeah, I wonder what that is. <laughs> you know, I hesitate to think what those other 13 to 15-year-olds were doing. But you know what David was doing? David said, I'm going to teach myself how to play the harp. And not just for music's sake, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to find God out here on the hills of Judea. I'm going to seek after God's presence. I'm going to play songs to His honor. And he learned the national songs of the nation of Israel, which were worship songs. And then he began to compose songs. And maybe was out on the hills of Judea as a teenager that David wrote his most famous song. It goes like this. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Did you ever think a teenager might write that? Wow. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because God is with me. Wow. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell 
in the house of the Lord forever. Have you ever been comforted by that song? Probably everybody in the room has. Imagine that. Written by a shepherd, probably when he was a teen. No wonder God said, I have found this man David to be a man after my own heart. And because David set his heart on worship, he experienced God. He didn't just know about God. He didn't just think about God. He experienced God's presence in the everyday duties of life. Think about this with me for a minute. You think, maybe if I was a shepherd, I could do that too. I want you to think with me about the parables of Jesus. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, a retailer of pearls, who found a pearl of great price. You know, you can find God if you're in retail. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who threw his net into the sea and he pulled in all kinds of fish. You can find God and the presence of God even if you're a fisherman. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out in the field and began to sow his seed. You can find God and his presence if you're a farmer. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a wealthy man who was going to go on a long journey and he called four of his managers and he entrusted to each an amount of money to invest. You can find God in the everyday of your life if you're a banker or a stockbroker or an investor. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who was cleaning her house and she lost a coin. You can find God even if you're just cleaning houses. I could go on and tell you more parables. You know what I want you to know? You got it, right? If you set your heart on worship, no matter what you do for a living, God is there. And you can experience Him, if you will. And because David did, he experienced God in the everyday duties of life. Now let's see how that served him as we move to Bible teaching number two. David goes to the battle, and there's the big giant in the valley, and the, and the, the Israelite nation is up on one side, the Philistine nation is on the other side, and the guy in the valley is saying, I am the champion of the nation of the, of the Philistines. Why don't you Israelites send me a champion to fight? And, and if I beat him, then, then we win the war, and if he beats me, then you guys win the war. Well, there are no takers. David shows up at camp. He hears this guy. And the first thing that David says to his older brother Eliab and the people standing around, how come nobody's fighting that guy? And can't you see his older brother, who's probably 15 to 20 years older than he is, looking at him as maybe a 17-year-old punk? And he says, dude, have you looked at him? And you know what the Bible says he followed that up with? Oh, by the way, with whom have you left those few sheep you tend? Does that just not sound like an older brother? 
unfortunately. Well, eventually, someone says to King Saul, someone in the army is willing to fight Goliath. Saul says, send him in. So this is what happens. David walks in to to have an audience with King Saul, and he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Saul replied, don't be ridiculous. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. (laughs) You're only a boy. He's been a man since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now here's the real secret. Here's here's at the end. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Here's the principle I want us to get. Take a look. Because David set his heart on worship, he not only experienced God in the everyday duties of life, it built in him a faith that enabled him to thrive during adversity. Truthfully, I cannot tell you how many times Christians have come into my office in the midst of adversity and they're wilting and they're fainting and they're not doing well and they say, Pastor, my faith is weak. What can I do? I I, I feel like I'm giving up on God and I don't want to give up on God. And I say to them, do you seek God every day? No. Do you worship God at church? No, no, no. I I know that's good. But in your everyday life, no. Do you know, here's the Philistines up here, here's the Israelites up here, and why is no one in the nation of Israel going down to fight that guy? I'll tell you why. Because when the moment called for some real faith, not just personal confidence, real faith, they didn't have it. They found it impossible to trust God because they hadn't been worshiping Him prior to that. These guys all went to the tabernacle for worship services. These guys were all taught by priests. But you know the difference? They didn't actually seek God's presence in their daily life. And when they needed faith, they didn't have it. That's a key. That's a real key to living life and being able to thrive no matter what takes place. I want want you to know that there's a symbiotic relationship that exists between worship and faith. Okay? Faith is believing God will show up. Worship is praising Him for showing up. Can you say that with me? I want you to get that. Faith is believing that God will show up. Worship is praising Him for showing up. And the amazing thing is, those two feed off each other. And when you worship God, it increases your faith. And when you exercise your faith and God shows up, it increases your worship. 
And the two build each other up. Because David set his heart on worship, built in him a faith that enabled him to thrive even during adversity. As we close, I want to give us two application principles, and then we're going to go to our Connect cards. I'm going to walk you through some ways to respond to this. Okay? Let's go to the, our application principles. Okay? Number one, worship tunes my heart to experience God where others miss Him. Do you know God's in this room right now? He says, if you gather in my name, I'll be there. And some of us, hopefully all of us, but maybe not all of us, are tuned into Him this morning, and some of us are still worried about the 49ers. No. Right. Or the Giants or whomever else. Yeah. But He's here. And when we worship, we get tuned in. Some of us, believe it or not, on the way home are going to experience God on the highway. And some of us are just going to experience all those other idiot drivers. And God's there. You're going to have the opportunity to experience Him. Some of us are going to experience God in our families. And some of us are just going to yell at our kids and spouse. God's there. See, worship tunes my heart to experience God where others miss Him. Second application principle is this. Experiencing God on a personal basis, not just at church, experiencing God on a personal basis enables me to exercise my faith. As David did when he fought Goliath, and as you and I will need to do from time to time as we walk through this life. Now, I want you to take your Connect card that Justin talked to you about earlier. I'm going to give you some very, very practical ways to apply what we've talked about this morning. Turn it over to the back side and go down to the part that says, I would like to apply the teaching by. And here are three very practical ways. And the first one is listening to worship music one day. Okay? I want to challenge you to do this. I know some of you... Listen to KPFA, those of you who lean politically to the left. Some of you listen to KGO, those of you who lean politically to the right, okay? Some of you listen to uh, sports talk radio, right? Some of you listen to KJazzy. Whatever it is that you normally listen to, you say, Oh, Pastor, get in today's generation. I have an iPod, okay? I don't care what your media of choice is. Instead of pulling or downloading your favorite playlist or listening to the radio station you normally listen to, I want to challenge you to take one whole day and let the rest of the world go round. Okay? It will. Don't listen to the news, any of that stuff, but I want you to tune your heart to worship for one whole day and see what a difference it makes. Not just for the music's sake, but worship. Pay attention. Listen, bless God. Sow into your life 24 hours of worship and then ask yourself, what difference did that make? I think you'll find it make a big difference. Number two, facing a personal giant. Some of you already know what that is. Your personal giant is your anger. For some of you, your personal giant is the way you talk to your wife or your husband. For some of you, your personal giant is worry. For some of you, your personal giant is a habit that no one knows about. For some of you, your personal giant is that person at work that you can't stand. You already know, what is that next personal giant that God says, it's time for you to address that? 
doesn't mean you'll conquer it in one week. But if you don't start this week, when will you start? So whatever that next personal giant is. And number three, memorizing Acts 13, 22. That was the first verse we read. I have found David to be what? A man after my own heart. He will do what? All my will. Okay? You can memorize that and put it in your heart. Let me say a short prayer. And then I want you to commit to whatever you feel like God would have you commit to. And while you're doing that, I want you to pay attention to the video screens because there's a wonderful message about worship from many people that you will recognize. Father, even now, as we respond to you, would you speak to us? Father, call us to 24 hours of worship in our life. Call us, Father, to face that next giant. Call us to take this verse, put it in our hearts, and live it out. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.